This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with lead professional development phase coach at Bristol City, Alex Ball. He discusses the transition from under-23 football into first team and how coaches can support players in this, the importance of a collaborative working environment and how you can help the players create this, as well as the use of key trigger words to aid player performance. I hope you enjoy. So, Bully, first of all, appreciate you jumping on this morning. Um, how are things? How, how are you doing? Yeah, good, thanks. Yeah, all good. Mike, really uh, pleased you to ask me on. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I think uh, I'm well. Um, back to work and everything's been kind of going into a new normal with our, um, our training programme since we started back in August now, I think. Um, so, but yeah, no, I'm all well. The family's well. Um, and uh, enjoying being back at work, really. Perfect. So obviously you alluded to there, kind of being back at training and whatnot. So you just want to tell people kind of what your current role is um, and what you're doing and, and who for, etc. Yeah, so currently I'm the lead professional development phase coach for Bristol City uh, Football Club. So I've been in that role for probably the last 18 months uh, to two years. Uh, two years previous to that, I was the under-23s assistant coach um so yeah that's my 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 current role so day-to-day working with the under 23 players predominantly so uh my role encompasses the under 18s as well but um since last october i've been kind of doing the under 23s predominantly um to make sure that the players and yeah everyone involved with the under 23 group are uh doing what we need to be doing really and how, how did you find kind of that transition? Because I know previously you'd worked a little bit with the younger age groups and stuff. How did you find going in kind of at the top end, I guess, pretty close to first team football at that point? Yeah, definitely. So the um, the opportunity come back up to go to the club. So previously I was working at, at Southampton uh, as the lead foundation phase coach uh, before I went into work with the under-23s at Bristol City. So definitely uh, a big jump uh, in in age groups. But in terms of the the coaching um i find it comfortable because i'd worked before with older players so um it wasn't as though i'd only worked with young players like through my co- coaching pathway i'd worked with a um all through the age group so before i went to southampton i'd spent time as the under 18s coach and also um the lead youth development phase coach at bristol city so that was kind of i've been at bristol city for a while really uh, on and off and um so having previous experience of coaching those age players, I worked with under 18 players at Team Bath and also at Filton College, I was coaching 16 to 19 year olds. So I'd already had experience of coaching older players. Um, and so the going into that environment wasn't too uh, daunting for me. It was more, I guess, adapting to the speed of play and the, the speed of training and the things that the older players, I, I guess that would be the main thing as opposed to difference to when you're coaching a foundation phase session, the intensity, the tempo, the standards, the the driving of the session in those older age groups. I, I find that with the first few sessions when I was um, working with them, I was like, yeah, this is, this is, you know, proper. And like you said, it's, it's close, it's close in the current structure to the first team is, as you get really without being in the first team. So 
um, that brought its own uh, experiences as well, which um, have helped me develop as a coach. And it's probably one area of my coaching that I've probably not had that much exposure to. So now having that exposure has been really good for, for my development. And in terms of like an academy vision or an academy way or style of play, what would, if anyone was to come to watch, what would we expect to see from kind of your 23s or 18s, etc.? So uh, a high intensity uh, team, really, in terms of their, their running, definitely a pressing uh, team, something, a key characteristic of, of what we try and do is, is whilst being defensively compact is, is very much around recognising the opportunities to press the opposition um, and high intensity running for sure. And then the opportunity whenever to play forward, uh, to play forward, really. I think um, going into it, trying to simplify those kind of philosophies and, and where you styles of, of play, if you like, for the players has been one of my kind of learnings of recent times, really, is trying to not go... The, the, the more simple, the more effective, really. I think when we try and go into real detail, you know, at times it sometimes gets lost or we put too much emphasis on things. I think football, if we try and, is got a lot of, the. I think football has got a lot of information and detail to get across. But I think the skill is how you get that across in a simple way for the players to understand. So, um, yeah, that's... Uh, something but yeah definitely those two key characteristics would be um, pressing for sure uh, defensive compactness so not easy to play through we have a, a mantra of around not through don't let them go through the middle of you always around you and then playing forward went on you, you'd see that and then also the the characteristic of the players we want players that work hard that are honest that you would see them tracking back you would see all those kind of character uh, traits when you watch a team play. And do you mirror uh, what the first team does or do you kind of have an academy vision which you go by which should hopefully prepare them well when they do make that step up if they do? Yeah, we have we have both. The club's really, uh, I mean, it's, it's really good the way it's aligned through the club. So um, the, the, the 23s especially uh, kind of mirror the, the first team as much as possible making sure that everything we're doing is preparing those boys for what's to come. Because as proved over recent times, and it's been really positive over the last few months, despite the, the COVID in its own way, it's, it's created an opportunity for us as an academy to have more academy players in the first team environment. So we've got currently, I think, it started with the under-23s this season. Now there are six training every day with the first team squad six maybe seven so we needed to make sure that what we do in training and how we play in games gives those boys the best opportunity to slot straight in when they go into that environment of the first team and it's not foreign for them it's not um something they've not seen before they can feel comfortable then so whether it's the set piece setup whether it is um the the formation whether it is the style of play you know a lot is is done um the, the same to give those boys every every opportunity so that's the way we see it the the everything we do is for the players is for the boys and what's going to give them the best opportunity and how do we prepare them for what is to to come so some of it will be like we say to go into our, our first team so we will try and do that 
through the pathway, it'd be slightly different. I think from under, you know, the pre-academy, the sevens, eights, through then into the nines to twelves, and then through to the uh, youth development phase and the under 18s, that there's more of a broader picture of developing the person and the, the player. So that's definitely really key across the pathway um, to give those players a broader experience. But then as they're getting closer to our first team, then that kind of narrows off a, a little bit. Um, so we wouldn't expect our our under 10s to be playing, you know, like the, the, the first team. But um, sure, there's going to be similar characteristics around the pressings. That you, you'll want them to see them going out and press. But in terms of uh, the start, the formation they play, or um, they might play different formations to give them a an understanding of uh, what's to come. Because reality is at 18, 23, that some of those boys that are with us at 10, 11 are going to be somewhere else playing their football. So how are we preparing those boys to go into somewhere else that says different to what Bristol City say? So I think there's that kind of broader experience, but then certainly as it gets to 18s, 23s, there's more of that narrow focus to to nail down on what our first team are doing and how our boys go into that environment, really. And I I guess looking at your, um, your role, I guess one of the biggest things you look at is really trying to prepare them for that final jump. Um, for that final bit, like you said there, you've had a lot of success recently of getting players into that first team environment. What would you say the biggest challenge is for an under-23 player going from the age group that you're working in to then going into that first team environment and trying to, I guess, initially cope and then further down the line kind of strive and, uh, and push push on? What would you say the biggest challenge for them is? I guess uh, traditionally it's always like there's a one around opportunity. So opportunity, making sure that that's available. So something like um, we make sure it was really good up and before the COVID, for example, at Bristol City, we would always be training the same day and the same time as the first team. So whenever an opportunity come up for players to go into that first team environment, we were able to take it. So we would then, as an under 23, you'd have to get the balance right between um, playing and training is your own group and preparing, but also making sure they're available and ready to go into that first team environment. And whenever an opportunity come up, then making sure that those boys are ready and we're able to go into to that environment. So that, if that if that meant trading off, um, them playing in an under twenty threes game, then it's more important that they go into that first team environment. So making sure that our schedules aligned, making sure that when the first team were in, we were in. Um, making sure that the um, boys, you know, were training on the at the same time, you know, just on the the next kind of pitch. So even it's something as simple if a first team player went down injured in the session, and they were to say, "Can we have someone?" That's an opportunity. So then straight away you're able to send a player over, and then that day could be the opportunity that gets them in the the manager's eye, and they go, "Wow, yeah, what a player! I want to see more of him. I want to see more." So. Yeah, for sure. Um, having opportunity, I think, is a um, a big thing uh, to get that across the yeah w when you're training. So, and then is there things that you can do as the under twenty threes, is the like in the professional development phase that create more opportunity? So, like I said, like aligning the schedules, maybe one um, having a process where players are every. Uh, international break, say, when maybe players have gone off, we say that's an opportunity for players to go into the first team environment. 
um, obviously daily being involved in the daily planning meetings and there may be some a case where you go well players the first team manager says we want x amount of players and then they're able to go straight in so definitely that's a, a I'd say a challenge but also an opportunity to get those opportunities if that makes sense um, the other one is, is then on the I guess the players is that the, the players that do really well thrive from what I've seen is if, if they have that bit of self-belief and confidence when they go into that environment as opposed to being shy and um, you know withdrawn if you like so sometimes the, the managers want to see their character so there's likelihood is they're a tiny player anyway because they're in the club they're in the under 23 so they're going to be of a decent level but then those character traits of kind of resilience of self-belief of uh, trust honestly so when they go in the, the manager knows they can hold themselves with senior players um, and it's not to be arrogant and it's not to go and that's something that I've kind of had to get in my head around as well because maybe my personality is a bit more withdrawn and it's and it links to coaching as well you know when you go into an environment that you're not used to you know wherever you go into a say from if I went to the first team environment or the first team managers watching your session or we've all had it as a coach where someone's watching you or you go into that environment and you then need to show that inner strength that inner self-belief confidence to to be who you are still without feeling under that pressure to do something amazing or something that you wouldn't normally do um so getting the players ready for that in terms of the mental side the character side psychology to say look you've got this opportunity when you go there show that you belong there the self-belief and confidence don't be intimidated by it talk to senior players tell them to go left go right it's fine they're not going to bite your head off um and having that bit i think is really important and that's a, another thing again working closely over the last four and a half years with the the, the first team environment i'd say those character traits are massive um when you're in there and and a lot of things you know things managers look for they look for players they can trust they look for players who are resilient they look for players who um can bounce back from adversity um who can have that bit of self-belief and confidence to carry themselves in that environment so um they're, they're looking at those things as well as obviously the football side of it so it is interesting uh, for sure and little bit off topic but we um one of the guys i was on a course with recently did like a uh, a study on it he, he interviewed a lot of first team managers and asked them what are the like key characteristics what are the things you're looking for when from an academy player when they come into the first team or to get them into the first team what do you want to see and i think two of the top three answers weren't football like technical or tactical related they were character traits so yeah that's it was interesting so um because then going back to my role I've done previously working with younger players you then ask yourself well am I preparing them right for what's to come so very uh yeah very interesting how do you prepare the players for that at the top end how do you work on those characteristics if you can at all yeah so it's one thing we find like you can't like physically you can measure how much they run how much they lift in the, the gym, their S&C sessions, how fast they are, their sprint distance. Um, you can measure it. Technically, tactically, you can have stats. You can measure how many uh, passes a player makes, how accurate his passing is. So with character, it's something that we find tough to measure. 
you can have your own internal measures if you like. You can say, well, what's the important characteristics? Is it honesty? Is it resilience, hard work, um, uh, trust, trustworthiness? And then you could do a scale, and but it's still your opinion on then how you grade, if you like, or, or measure those characteristics in a player. So um, that that's been tough and been a challenge. I, I guess the way we've gone about it, or me personally, is every day the sessions will incorporate some type of resilience and um, uh, character trait sessions. So whether it's communication, whether it's, like I said, resilience, whether it's uh, trust, whatever it is, there's there's something in, whether it's hard work, there's something in each session. And that's not to say, uh, and some of it, and this goes back, you know, some of it is planned and some of it is just because who you are and what you demand from the session. So then that will naturally fall out of it. So um, I think that's how we go about it. Little things like when I'm watching the players in the warm-up, what are they doing in the warm-up? What, what are they doing? Are they doing it right? Is the standard? Am I looking? So I'm looking for those character things there in the warm-up. Who's the ones that are doing everything spot on? Who are the ones who are messing around? Who are the ones that are uh, not doing it as, as they should be? Um, I watched... Uh, a, a lone player, or go and when you go and watch a player, say you want to watch a new signing, what's their character like? They're on the bench, but then you're looking at them, you can still watch and see things. So when someone goes down injured, aren't they the first one to jump up and, and get and warm up, or do they sit there and wait to be told to get up and warm up because they think they should be playing? What's their warm up like when they're warming up on the sideline? What's their character when their um, body language like when they're sat on the bench? Are they with the team? Are they um, watching the game? so that they're ready when they come on. So I think it, it, it also goes to what you look for as a, as a coach. So what are you looking at? So it's being able and understanding to bring that into your um, coaching armory, I'd say, and look at that as well as, you know, looking at, oh, is he a good uh, runner? What's his physique like? Does he pass the ball well? Did he shut that gap off? Did he make that forward run? You know, everything we look at football-wise. Um, so just having that, that broader picture, I'd say, in terms of understanding what you're looking for with those character traits and then trying to reinforce them through your, your coaching. We've had... That's, that been a challenge for you? Because I imagine as a coach, everyone has their confirmation bias. So everyone has the type of player they like or the type of characteristic they like. Has that been challenging for you to, I guess, at points have players that don't necessarily... 100% fit the characters that you'd want, but then they've got other characteristics that are invaluable and we can work with and try and, I guess, frame it for them to get some more of the characteristics you want whilst enhancing the ones they've already got. Yeah, definitely. So there's, um, I think there's players that won't have um, some of the things you're looking at, as I say, because like if you're you're a defender, so I was a defender. I play, I'm a defender. My bias is probably towards uh, defending more than attacking. Um, I'm always looking at the the back end of the pitch to make sure we're organised effectively, even when we're attacking. So I have a, for sure, a bias. And, and that's the same with my own personal beliefs because obviously I like I base my game on, on hard work, on a good attitude, on doing everything right, listening, you know, doing like the, as much as you could. But, I've encountered players over the years that, that aren't like me. So 
how do you make sure that you don't try and fix them into what the mold of you? Um, so that's the important. So I've learned um, when to stay quiet, when to not say anything in a football context is, is important with players that, especially attacking players, because the pass I thought they should make, actually they've seen something totally different. Um, or just because I would have made that pass doesn't mean they got made that pass. So there's, I've learned over the years to actually not, uh, especially with those more individual maverick uh, type players, to not um, purposely not have to mould them or, or coach them, I guess. I've got a player recently and I always say to him, like there's certain things you're going to have to do, but then you as a player, your USP is your creativity, is your the ability to do something out of the blue. So I'm never going to tell you not to do that. You have to do that because that's you and that's what's going to get you to be a top player, a really top player. But there's certain things, especially at our club, and I think in life, not just in, in football, whether it's punctuality, whether it's turning up on time, um, whether it's listening, whether it's um, being able to take an instruction. And if you don't agree with it, then be able to speak and ask the reason why, as opposed to just go, I'm not going to do that. Because then that's going to get the backup of the coach. Yeah, you might not agree with it and you may think you can do something else. That's fine. But then have the ability to communicate and go actually feel it's fine to challenge that and just go, actually, yeah, I think in this situation I should do this. And most coaches I, I know, and certainly me, uh, are, are reasonable enough. And I go, okay, well, why, why are you saying that? And then they'll give their point and you go, yeah, okay. Or you go, no, this is the reason why. This is, we need to do this because if you don't do this, then it has an impact on your teammates. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and ultimately, you're, you're playing in this team sport um, where you're trying to all work towards the same goal. So um, I guess that conversation where there's going to be some non-negotiables or some standards, some professional standards that are in football and in life that they have to do. And I, I'm quite, I, th I think that's important. But then football-wise, no, I'm not going to tell you to pass it when you should dribble it or dribble when you should pass Like That's you. That's you as a player. You, if you've got three players around you, you can get out of that. So do it. That's your, what you can do. Go in and really affect the game and really show what... So I'm really conscious to, to say that to those players and say, look, I'm not trying to change... You are... I'm not trying to change... You are a top player. This is why you're a top player. The only thing I'm trying to do, and then the other way of phrasing it is also saying, like, if you do these things, it will add to your game. It's trying to say, well, actually, this might make you even better and more um, usable, watchable uh, by a first-team manager. Because if the first-team manager, if and as much as we say it's right or wrong, first-team manager, you know, they're looking for people they can trust. The moment you break that trust, whether you don't turn up on time, whether you forget to do something, whatever it is, if you break that discipline, it's really hard to get that back because of the pressure at the top end. There is so much pressure. That's the other thing I've seen, that the pressure on first-team managers is ridiculous, like to win games um, and how that can affect things. Um, so it's, it's really, you, the players have to, um, there's certain elements they have to, to buy into um, whilst making sure that you don't take away their USP or their, their creativity or their 
their ability to be a maverick, whatever you want to call it. Um, so that, yeah, that's probably in a, a long way some of the things I, I've come across or used, I guess. The player that comes to mind for me straight away here is Adel Tarat, yeah. former QPR player. And I, I was around him a little bit, only for, only for a season. And he was a really interesting character because it seemed like for him, everything had to be fun. Yeah. And that was what he engaged with. And obviously you saw him on a football pitch and the stuff he could do. Outrageous. I guess for me, one of the challenges would be how do you fit that into a team context, which is kind of what you're alluding to here. He's got that USP to be able to beat three, four, five players or, you know, do skills and get past players and set someone up. But we have some non-negotiables in terms of transitions that you have to do, or you have some non-negotiables when we press, you have to do this. Um, And that's probably the side of the game that let him down more than anything, I think, is probably why he ended up playing in the championship at QPR and was going out to Benfica. Because if you actually look at his talent, probably his top four talent in terms of things he could do on the ball, but it was the other side of the game that let let him down. It's interesting what you're alluding to there about saying to those types of players, this will add to your game, this will be an addition, not if you're going to do this, you have to do that as a trade-off. It's more of an addition conversation as a way to get through to them. Yeah, definitely. The terminology and the way you phrase things and the way you speak, is it can be important as well because sometimes the players see it as a, a criticism or a negative or you're trying to change them or have a go at them or you don't want them to do that, you want them to do this and it's that. So that way you phrase it and how you, however you choose to phrase it, but make it come across as though you're helping them and actually this is going to make you even better. So that word um, add, add to your game is, is, is important. And the other thing um, on that, so we went to, I went to Lille and spoke, uh, we had a, a study visit over in Lille and um, we spoke about Eden Hazard and the coaches and the players, how they cope with him because he was a, a maverick of, you know, of a very high proportion. Um, and they spoke around how they got the buy-in from all of his teammates and all of the staff, and they understood and they accepted it. So they all give the go-ahead for Eden Hazard not to do that gym session, basically, because he was so good at stuff in football. They just got the buy-in from all of the players, so there was never an issue there. So no one was going, oh, where's where's Eden? Where, where is he? He's not here. He should be at the gym. No one, he, he wanted the gym, he wanted the gym. They just accepted it because he was such a good player. But the coaches or the staff there had to, in the first instance, make that explicit and get the buy-in of all the, the players in that group. Um, and he would, and the, the funny thing is, he said he would do that gym session. He'd just he'd do it at another time. Or he'd do it, like it, was, it wasn't as though he, he was not going to do it. So it, I guess the other way of doing it is that if you've got someone this that good, you need to make sure you have the buy-in of everyone, whether that's the the players, the staff, the fans, they understand that he's not running back. He's just going to stand and he's not going to defend. Now, some managers, some clubs are happy for that. Some aren't. Some some will go, no, we can't have that on a team. Every player has to run back behind the ball. The aim of football is to score on one end and stop it in the other. So if we can get everyone behind the ball, it makes it more difficult for the other team to score. You watched Tottenham last night. Um, Liverpool broke them down in the end, didn't they? But... Tottenham, you know, very 4-4-2. They got Harry Kane, one of the best strikers. He's, he's defending more than he's attacking. 
I'm sure Harry Kane's bought into it. It's a Mourinho's way of, at the moment, what they're, they're doing. The fans are buying into it because they're top, now they're second in the league. How far does it get you? I don't know. Um, maybe all the way. You win titles. Mourinho's won, you know, Inter Milan, Port, you know, won loads. So there's no right way or wrong way, um, for sure. And that's the other thing. There's no right way or wrong way. There's just the way it works for you. And then, and then the other thing is, um, is always having being able to back it, it up or justify or have a reason to say, actually, this is why we're doing it. And that's not right nor wrong. It could be in uh, obviously people's opinions, in the fans and other teams, other people, but that's fine. Um, I guess as long as there's that that reason, so why you're doing it. So I'm I'm saying to that player not to run back because he's our best player. He's not very good at defending, but what he can do on the ball is unbelievable. So we're just going to get in the ball, and we'll we'll accept that he's not going to defend. Some people are happy with that. Some people will, because they know we're winning the game. Some people will say, no, that's not acceptable. When you defend, everyone has to be vulnerable. So, yeah, it's, I guess, down to your, like you said earlier, your personal bias, but not letting your personal bias then ruin or dictate to a player that clearly has, has potential. How important do you think it is having um, a team that, I guess, balance each other. Because if we're talking about this hazard situation, for example, if, if you've got a group of staff and a group of players that are willing for that to happen, it would suggest that they're all pushing in the same direction and possibly have a self of uh, a, a level of self-awareness regarding how good a player he is or could potentially be. Um, yeah. If you maybe had one or two players in there who their entire game was built on just hard work and everyone defending and everyone being on time who weren't willing for that to happen or like, actually, no, if I'm going to be there, he's going to be there. I'd imagine that creates quite a lot of challenge within the group. So how important do you think it is having a, a team environment where all the players' characteristics kind of blend together in, in a nice melting pot, which allows there to be kind of an open, honest, relationship between all the group and a, a, a level of self-awareness within that group yeah i think yeah it's, it's a good one because you'll get like um you know you'll, you'll get little pockets of dissent you know and, and people you know whispering behind backs and moaning and if everyone's not on the same page or going towards the same in the same direction so that thought or that um notion of purpose and what are you trying to do so if hopefully everyone in that team is there for the same purpose um whatever that purpose is 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 it to win the league is it to avoid relegation is it to get a, a place in europe is it um to make sure that everyone is is happy everyone is treated like a family what what is your purpose what what are you trying to achieve is it promotion is it whatever it is and then if people aren't aligned to that purpose is then understanding why they're not aligned to it and then if there's an issue that can't be resolved then then they probably have to find their way out of that group to allow the rest of the group to to work effectively together so if if someone if two people didn't agree with the the notion like we were saying around hazard then what was their reason for that are they, do they not see the same thing as everyone else sees in terms of he's going to help us? So by doing, letting Hazard do what he wants, that's going to help us achieve our 
our purpose of what we want to do. If they don't agree with that, then yeah, you need to, I think, initially find out why. But then ultimately, it's, it's going to be down to the, the decision makers to go, well, do we see Hazard getting us there or these other two? And if it's Hazard, then they have to either work to get the other two to buy in or, or find someone else and in, in, in replace those guys. Have you had any experience of this in your group? Um, yeah, not not really, no. We have um, we have players or you have people that want to do their, you know, maybe late or have done something against, you know, what they should have been doing. But it's kind of out of character or it's a mistake more than a, a, a regular thing, if that makes sense. So we have our set of like standards, values, beliefs, like that the group do at the beginning of the season. So what do they stand for? So we always then they, you're able to refer back to that and you reinforce that through the season in your, your meetings, your uh, team talks, your training, those standards that they've set and those behaviours that they said are important. You're able to refer back to that, that they... You know, whether it's a fine system, whether it's uh, consequences, they're dropped from the, the team, they're not allowed to train, whatever it is, your consequences you decide to, to put in, then they're there to help with that. Um, but no, not, not, not really had anyone kind of go against what you're trying to achieve, because ultimately, I think in the youth, like the younger age groups, the, the 18s, 23s, everyone is there for the same reason. They want to be a first team player. They want to be a senior professional. They want to have a career, a professional football career. So you can refer everything back to that. And you say, well, you say this is what you want to do. Well, then there's certain things like the way you've acted or what you've done, or if you think that's acceptable, that's not going to get you to that point. So you either need to change or you'll, you'll, you'll go out of it. And some go out of it. They, they, they then don't find their way through. And that's not on some, you know, and that's across in, in in life, in work, in, in football, they'll just drift. They'll drift out of it. The ones who do will will carry on through. And the ones now there'll be those ones that do everything they can and they'll still fall up short, for sure. Um but yeah, you'll you'll I think the power you've got is is able to refer everything back to what what they want to achieve, what what they're doing and how they want to get there. Um I think when you work in with the 18s and 23s. Something to uh, something you alluded to earlier on was kind of the pressurized situation at the top end, um, and I, I feel like the lifespan of managers getting shorter by the day in terms of people getting sacked and stuff. I think this brings up a interesting kind of question around players that relate to managers' visions. Because obviously what we're, we're talking about here is everyone pushing in the same direction. And you look, you can use Tottenham as an example. I'm a Spurs fan. You've got someone like Daddy Ali at the moment who it seems like was managed very well by Pochettino in terms of maybe some of the characteristics he has and some of the ones that he doesn't. To now almost being an outcast under Mourinho isn't playing. How important do you think it is that managers are given time to hopefully bring a kind of the players that fit their vision in? Because it seems like at the moment everyone's that no one's getting the chance, which means that we just have turnover after turnover after turnover. 
Yeah, I think um, I think it is important that period of time and that stability to be able to have a period of time to implement your ideas to be able to get your point across and, and to have a chance to try and build something. Um, ultimately, low football is a results-driven industry at the top end, um, and so getting that balance right, I think it it can come down. I guess you can look at then the owners, the, the kind of the chairman of the clubs and their kind of understanding of it and philosophy and how they see things and how they try and build something. I think it's definitely important. that. But then as a manager, you've got probably that first three months, I think it's 90 days, the first um, 90 days in, in management to try and make that impression and to try and stay in that job and give yourself that chance to to have that opportunity to be there a bit longer. So you need to make sure that um, you're going in and you're kind of making sure that very quickly you're getting that buy-in and you're having to build things in slowly, I guess, in one way, as in to not make too much change, you don't say too many people, so that in that first period you don't end up alienating people and, and losing games really early, early on, and then you're out of a job straight away. So um, it's a really tough balance, but I think where clubs have, have been successful, I'd say, over a period of time is, is when there's stability in the, the management and the structure of the, the club. Um, I know Manchester United, when Ferguson was there, I mean, Klopp's been at Liverpool for a long time. Pep's been at Man City for a, a, a few years now. Um, there's, I think... They're obviously being successful, um, and then it's yeah, the, the, and and similar, I guess, with um, through the, the pathway as well is stability of, of coaches of um, staff helps players develop a, a familiar face, helping having something, giving it the time to work through. Does that make sense? So you're actually working, you're not changing something every year and going oh, this, there needs to be a period of time where you actually give it a go and let it work through to say, well, actually, that was successful or that wasn't successful. So, um, yeah, definitely having the, the stability, I feel, is, is important. But unfortunately, in, in football, you're, you're not going to get that. So I think, though, managers know that and they accept that. And as much as they try and do they can as much as they can to stay in that role and as much as I'm sure in an interview or at the beginning when they start they'll be told this and, and that or they you know that will change if they lose five games on the banks in the bottom of the league sometimes pressure comes and uh, decisions need to be made so um, but yeah for, for me I think stability is important Is that something that would interest you long term or are you happy kind of in the 23s development slash first team environment yeah it's it's something uh i've never it's never been something i've aimed for as in a a, a target or a goal i've never said i want to be a first team manager i want to be a first team coach um the more i'm around it and the more i think yeah i like you know it could be something that i could go into the more you work with older players, the more you work with staff, they work with older players, the more you work with staff that are potential first team managers. So you create relationships with with coaches that potentially are then working in a first team environment. 
So if you've got a good relationship with someone, then that might provide an opportunity in that first team environment if you've worked with them previously. But it's never something that I've laid my hat on. And, and there's so many things that you have to weigh up. Like Family is quite important to me. Uh, we got a family base in Bristol and you know that if you took a first team job and you go into that environment, you could be then ending up going around the country. I know I wouldn't want to be moving my wife and kids um, around the country. So then you're the one who, who moves and, and is away all the time. So there's that side of it. I guess that stability and that risk, because you, like you say, there, there's maybe more financial gain. So I think that's where the money is at the top end of the game. If you can get into that first team environment, you probably get more financial gain, but over only over a short term period. Even if you've got a contract and you get sacked, you know, you're going to get a period of money, I'm sure, a, a payoff, but that's only going to last so long. Then you've got to wait for your next job. I don't know. It's, uh, I've not I've not ruled it out, but I've not um, set my hat on it. I really, I really enjoy what I'm doing at the moment, working with the uh, under-23s and the under-18s. Really good. And it's something for sure that I think I want is a part of my coaching pathway. If I, I look at my coaching journey, you know, from uh, coaching four and five-year-olds to coaching senior players. So I've kind of gone across the age groups and coached all age groups. Um, but the probably the senior end, the first team football, is the one area I've not spent a majority, a, a large time of coaching. I did a bit in a semi-professional environment. It, um Holton Rovers in Magnetsfield helped out in, in coaching when I was playing there at those clubs. I had examples of working with senior players there um, in a first-team environment. Obviously, that's only semi-professional. Um, and then I've obviously worked with under-23 players. I've worked with first-team players that come into the under-23 group. Um, I've worked uh, with first-team players because you have to take a session because um, players are coming back from injury or there's players not in the squad. Or, so that's been good for me because that's gaining my, really helping me develop as a coach and how to manage, how to, to deal with and coach and put on sessions, what type of sessions to put on, all that for first players. So that's been really good over the last kind of couple of years for me is, is that development and that challenge on myself as a coach. Because sometimes you can get comfortable. So it's been good for to, to challenge me. So um, something that, that interests me for for sure, but then having to weigh everything else up into that is yeah is interesting. So I've not um, you, you never say never for me. I think if an opportunity comes up and it's the right one, then yeah. But I'm I'm really happy and enjoying what I'm doing. Part of a really good club at the moment in terms of how we're doing things. I think um, and the messages we're getting across and the players we're working with in. The development along the ways both for me as a coach and then obviously the players that are, are going through into the first team environment is, is really good so um i'm really enjoying doing that at the moment one of the things you've alluded to there is kind of quite an extensive um like foundation in coaching and kind of going all the way through the age groups how important do you think that has been for your development to get you to the point where you are now yeah really uh really important um i think and I, i've heard it on the podcast before i think someone was speaking around it but things like adaptability and behavior management and 
when you go and coach in a school and you have that session and you're in the hall and you've got the piano in the corner and you've got 30 kids, 36-year-olds, you know, 36 and 7-year-olds, some like football, some don't like football. So being able to manage every and give, put something on that everyone's going to get out of in that session and, and um, being able to adapt a, a drop of a hat, that, that for sure I've had to, is helped. So the work I've done along the way has helped me for now because one thing with the under 23s and first thing things change so quickly, all of a sudden you have 12 players in your session and then all of a sudden you have seven, right? So now I need to do something with seven players that I plan to do with 12. So it's, do you change altogether? All of a sudden someone calls you and says they need you to do this, bang, you're there. And you can't then flap and you, you go in and you have to put, it doesn't matter that it's last minute, you go in and you have to do is, uh, a, you're expected to do a top uh, job. So yeah, it's, um, that's helped me for sure along the way. It's helped me develop my skill set. It's helped me develop uh, as a coach, so getting things wrong, practicing, putting sessions on, thinking, oh, that went well, that didn't go well. Working with different types of players, how to manage. I've coached kids, like we went to a disability school, we coached kids with autism. Um, that was another level like in terms of me challenging me, because if I said something one week, they would hang on to it the next week, but I'd forget. And they pull me up on it and they'd get really cross and angry. And I'd think, oh, my, I've really ballsed up here because I said this team could be Man United or this player could be on, you know, um, whatever team it was he wanted to be. And I forgot, but he didn't. Like, there, He had this chart in his room that he was marking down and how important this football session once a week was to him. Yet for me... It was obviously another session. I was doing six, seven, eight, nine, ten sessions a week, and it was one of those sessions. So making sure every session that I went to was as important as the last one or as important as the next one. Never, you know, be in the moment for that session. And, and don't forget, that for me was really important, that lesson there, you know, uh, coaching. And I'd have never got that if I wouldn't have worked with that school and worked with those kids. And it, they were, but then the, the joy it brought that brought them in uh, was, yeah, was was very good. So yeah, I think having a varied um, pathway and uh, experiencing different things definitely help, um, and it can get you things for sure that you you, you miss out on if you kind of go straight in and haven't done that before you go straight in with your, your coaching. Um, so that pathway and that ability and, and it's, it's tough for me to shake off actually like now I come from a, I sound old I'm 39 but I come from a time where when I was a schoolboy coach I was the physio the bus driver the kit man and the coach and you just do everything and when I especially when I went to Southampton like the support it, the professional football clubs now that you get is unbelievable and you're just left to do really what you're there for is to coach and to work with the, the players. But I struggled to let go of that. I'd like try and help out with the kit or you need to go here or, you know, you you, you always want to. So, but having that makes you appreciate. My point is it makes you appreciate now. It makes me appreciate for sure the support and what I'm able to do now and the environment I'm able to work in. 
makes me so more, much more appreciative because I know of what I did like, yeah, you know, 15 years ago when I started in or more 16, 17 years ago. So um, it makes you definitely appreciate it more. Do you think that um, sometimes kind of that feeling is forgotten at the top end? And what I mean by that is I watched uh, a few documentaries, one in particular, the All or Nothing, and you see Serge Aurier go into a school and kind of the, the kids' faces and the, you know, the eyes light up and stuff. And I always think that sometimes when you get to the top end where you obviously there is so much pressure and all that type of stuff, you forget that feeling of a kid of, you know, being with your mates every day and being able to play football. And um, I, I imagine the older professionals, they probably look at it like that and go, those are the best days of my life. So I was playing best uh, football with my best mates all, all day long. Do you think whilst you're in it, it's really challenging to kind of maintain that attitude of how fortunate you are to be doing the role that you are or how fortunate you are to do what essentially millions of people do as a hobby for, for a job? Yeah, I think so. Um, when you're in it, 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 you definitely you need to take that moment to step back and to go, actually, yeah, this is what I'm doing. And, and like you say, the, the joy and the amount of people that would love to be doing what you're doing or love to be uh, have a career as a uh, whether it's a professional football player or a professional uh, football coach um for sure uh, they they do that i think and trying to help the players understand that as well and trying to get that balance between the pressure of what football brings in winning football matches in three points and doing that side of it the pressure from the the media the fans whatever that brings, but then stepping it back and going, and I use this when I coach and work with players is, why why did you start football? When you were seven, eight, nine years old, and you first played football, why did you play? So you're trying to bring out that. It was a, a coach called Louis Lancaster. He said, one well, part of his philosophy, philosophy, he said, I'm trying to bring the nine-year-old out of the player, like the kid. So how can I keep, that nine-year-old mentality in a senior player or in a professional player. Because I honestly think, and all players, and you perform your best when you're enjoying it, when you're relaxed, when you're um, not thinking about it, when you're unconsciously, you know, subconsciously just doing the doing it and enjoying it and just doing those, you know, when you're over the park and you're playing with your mates and you're doing stuff or you're playing in your, your grassroots team or even... It, at 9, 10, 11, it's Southampton or Bristol City or Bristol Rovers or Chelsea. The kids are playing football, they're loving it. And there's a point in the pathway, there's somewhere where it changes. And I don't know where, for different players, it's different ages or different stages. But somewhere, something changes and they go, oh, there's this pressure, I can't enjoy it. Oh, I'm not. And they, they end up either not enjoying it, putting too much pressure on themselves. And it happened to me as a player. I think I probably put too much pressure on myself. Uh, I ended up getting really nervous and worrying. And then I'm like, if I know now what I knew now, I'm like, why am I worried? It's just a game of football. You you play football. Yes, there's this pressure to go and win, but if I know I'm going to perform my best when I'm enjoying it and I'm playing football because I enjoy the game, I enjoy being with my teammates, I enjoy running forward. I The best feeling was the feeling after a game especially when you won that feeling of like sense of achievement like you've done something you play it's, it's not the same it is not the same as a coach um it is a little bit but much more as a player 
you just won't be like that feeling. Your body's a bit achy. You put your body on the line. You've won the game. And it's like that. That's For that couple of hours, it's like that sense of like joy and achievement is, is, um, is, is, is brilliant. And so, but to get to that point, like before the game, you'd be worrying, you'd be nervous, you'd be like, oh, what if this happens? What if this? And actually now, you know, I know so much more now. I'm worried about stuff that is out of your control. Like, don't worry about it. Like, so what if the opposition do this? You can't control what the opposition, you, opposition are going to do. You can't control what the referee is going to do. Just worry about you and what you're... And, and that's, so that's what I try and help the players with now, is, is just bring out your... Like, why you started playing in the first place. And then how, do you, how can you do that now as much as possible? There's going to be challenges. Yes, it's different now. You're, you're 21. You're not nine. But come on, football, you're going to play your best when you're enjoying it. So let's find a way that you can enjoy your football. What is it? How are we going to do this? How are we going to get you to that point? Um, and it's, and it's, yeah, it's not easy for sure. But I think the best players, for sure, like they play like they're sometimes. I'd watch Wayne Rooney when he was playing. He did stuff like he would just do on the park. He just played like he was when he would be with his mates. I'm sure of it. He just did things and enjoyed it. Have um, you had any particular success stories with players on that where you've been able to, as you've alluded to, bring out kind of that in a nine-year-old on a more regular fashion rather than them getting pent and worked up? Yeah. Um, I guess, yeah, some players, it's just through the, I guess, it's what you reinforce and what you, how you speak and what you deem is important, I guess taking the the pressure away from them i always like and i i so no specific players but like groups of players like you would say it's an under 13s game on a sunday morning and you go into the changing room and it's like a doctor's waiting room everyone's sat there like so i'd purposely go in and act, act the fool like i'd go in bright bubbly i would not make it serious i'd be like just make a joke and I always remember coaches to me, right? There was a coach, uh, Frank Jacobs and Graham Muxworthy, two coaches at Bristol City that coached me when, and Graham's still there. Graham's in his 80s and Graham still comes in. And they would always pretend, they'd say, you've been down the disco last night, down the wiggly hips with your ginger wig on. And they'd be saying these stupid things. At the time, we'd be like, what are they on about? And now I go, he was just trying to relax, just trying, because kids, you know, you, you'd be worried because if you have your parents in your ear on the game, you know, not all parents. Some are like, oh, you got to do this, got to do this. There's loads of people watching. Oh, there's a scout coming to watch you today or so-and-so's watching you. You're like, come on. They're 9, 10, 11 years, 12 years old. Let's go and play a game of football and enjoy it. And, you know, so I'd always try and bring that bright and bubbly. And I'll do it now. I'll do it now. And before the game, I, I make sure that it's light and it's, yes, there's a serious tone. You have to go, oh, come on, we're coming to play a game of football. This is the best day of the week. This match day. Enjoy it. I think the match day is the best day. Like the, the training, yeah, is great, but I love going to the games, the atmosphere in the change room. So trying to be, trying to take that uh, bit of, of, of pressure away from them and, and let them perform it the, yeah, the best they can, really. I think that's interesting. I, I can allude to experience at the weekend. Is our, it was our first game back after a little bit of lockdown and whatnot. And um, the first thing, well, the final thing I said to the kids before we went on the pitch was, 
let's just have fun today and we'll figure out everything else as we go along. And you could see all of them just like smile because they hadn't been able to play football. And I was just trying to say to them that that's the bit we all like doing. I, we, we, you know, I love playing football. I love seeing you guys play football. So let's worry about that bit. Let's go and have, you know, some fun playing our football and then anything else that happens after we'll figure out as we go along. Um, and I think what you alluded to there is really important. That, that bit of jovial side, that bit of, um, joking and stuff with the kids so they realize it's a fun place to be and you learn something not the other way around you learn something and then it's fun it's no it's fun and then we learn something as well which makes it a double bubble yeah now martin hunter when i was in southampton he said the three things he said look he said oh i'm looking forward those younger players he was like if they worked hard so if they sweat um if they are smile on their face and if they learn something it's like three things so and that simplicity of in your session, in your game, did they work hard? Did they enjoy it? Did they learn something? So, yeah, it's, um, I, I think that's important. For, yeah, definitely. So I'm going to allude to something. Uh, I've spoken to a few different people that have kind of played for you or, or know you particularly well. Um, and one of the things they've all uh, kind of brought across is that you have a real nice... Um, philosophy to play in they said they really enjoyed playing for you because the football that you tried to teach them along with the environment you created was real positive and enjoyable to be a part of so in terms of your philosophy on football I guess what is it and where where did you establish it how did you establish it um I guess it's a um it becomes from your experiences in your journey yourself in what was made important to you and so like what we've just been speaking about like enjoying um football i want it to be fun and enjoyable i want the players to enjoy playing football so making sure that that's part of the session part of the game part of what we we do um there's also that a bit around self-improvement so always wanting to to get better so trying to try always trying to help people and never thinking I guess for me it was never I never thought I had all the answers or so I guess building those relationships and a big part of my philosophy for sure is developed and maybe unconsciously I did it when I was younger but more consciously now I understand why I'm doing it so around creating relationships and around speaking to people and around taking an interest in who they are and what they do my flight is big on that in a moment. I spent a lot of lockdown on the phone, just speaking with the players, just over them, like not about football, just everything else apart from football, really. Um, and I'm really getting to try and understand them and, and know who they are and what's important to them. So a relationship for sure. Um, Why was that important to you? What experiences did you have that made that premium? Uh, I guess coaches, I, I, I think of coaches who I've experienced along the way, like great coaches like Paul Tisdale, Ivor Powell, Andy Tilson. Like, um, they were the, the two coaches I mentioned earlier, Frank Jacobs, Graham Muxworthy. They, they were personable people that would take time to speak to you and, and, and find out about you. And, and So there's that side of it, I guess. Um, 
And then the other side of it is is as you get older, you you understand more, and you you really on courses or you you deem what's important. And actually, for me, it's re it's confirmed what I was doing. That makes sense. So maybe I was doing it, but I didn't know why I was doing it. But now I've confirmed that actually I was doing this for this reason. So definitely that's important. So being personable, being um, and it's not and yes, it's being nice, right? And and someone's and someone people say, oh, you're too nice, or but I don't think it's a bad thing being too nice. If 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 on your uh, gravestone it says, here lies Alex Ball, he was too nice. I take that. If people thought that about me, then that's okay. Now I get there's you need to make tough decisions, and and that's something that I've had to do. Uh, you know, when whether you're releasing players, whether you're, but again, whether you're dropping someone from the team. Uh, but again, if you've got that relationship and you've spoke, I think that becomes they don't like it, and the players are not happy. But they understand it, and they know you're not doing it because anything personal, and it's they they cope with it. So that side of it is um, important for me. That relationship, that ability to try and understand them, um, and be, be able to make harsh decisions. And then when you you're you have to to I raise your voice or or do something, it becomes that more effective because you don't do it all the time. When you do, it's like everyone sits back and takes note. I remember one example, I was I was playing, I was coaching at Filton College and I was playing in their men's team. We had a team in a senior league and I was the senior player and it was 16 to 19 year olds and we won the game 4-1 and everyone's in the change room after and they're all buzzing. I think we won 3-1 and they're all trying to get the food and the sandwiches and the manager's trying to speak and they weren't listening to the manager. And it was a bad game. We'd won, but we'd got away with it. The other team should have won. Like, how we ever won the game? And I just lost it. I, I was taking my boots off. I had my boot down land. I, I slammed it down on the floor. I like swearing at them. Will you listen to the manager? And I'm not off on one now. This is the worst performance I've played in in all my life. You lads, you think you know it. You know nothing. And everyone just goes... Now what's Bally doing? Like just sat back. The manager texts me out. Like, He's like, "Are you all right?" He says. I said, "Yeah, I just got frustrated. Like no one was listening to you. Like it had been a really bad game. They they thought they were amazing. We weren't. Don't you know? So it becomes more powerful there, for sure. When you do have to to raise your vote or or you know um, say your piece uh, to get your point across. Uh, in terms of playing and playing style, for it's just I like obviously to pass the ball, I very much try and make it simple for the players. So what is it you want to do? Right? We want to pass the ball, but we want to pass the ball with a purpose. We want to go forward, for sure. If we got players that can dribble and attack players, get them on the ball and dribble and attack players. Midfielders, yeah, we want to give you the ball. So trying to help them and coach them, right, receive at this angle so you can play out there. Or, um, and, and football... Yeah, I'll try and simplify. Look, we want to score. We want to stop them scoring. So when we got the ball, let's and it and something that I sometimes I always remember the coach educators from the FA. I think it was like Dick Bate, um, Dave Burnside, Steve Rutter, these guys that were doing my coach education at the time. Like the principles of play around attacking and defending. Martin Hunter was big on them as well. And that when you you have the ball, make the pitch big, and when you don't have the ball, make the pitch small. And, Stop the opposition scoring. So we just, yeah, I just kind of got out. And, and then the, the other stuff kind of falls out of that. Like I said at the beginning, 
uh, I mentioned around the, I think the skill of the coach is to make, have all this detail and all these layers of understanding, but then produce that into something really simple that the players can understand and apply. Behind the scenes, you've watched footage, you've done analysis, you've done, you've done opposition reports, you've done all of this, but the players don't need to see all that. Don't need to be baffled with that. That's how you can get all that information and go, bang, here you go. There's some three key messages for you for this game. Go and do it. And then bang, they go and do it. So, yeah, that I don't know if that answers your question, but... Um, yeah, no, it does. I think it's it's an interesting one because, um, obviously, you're saying simplicity is a big thing there, and I agree with you. I think the level of detail that people go into now, particularly with all the things you see on social media when people break it down, stuff analytically, both performance-wise and data-wise, it is yeah. unbelievable, really. Yeah. I guess the question for me is, it, have you got any particular strategies kind of in session to help you simplify what can be quite challenging topics? So if you've got pressing, for example, have you got any go-to pressing sessions or any go-to playing out from the back sessions to help the players understand that we're going to press aggressively and this is how, or when we're playing out, these are basic principles are going to work on. Have you got any yeah. sessions that you go to? Yeah, like terminology is a big one. Like in the moment, like final third stuff, I'm trying to come up with phrases and terminology to get players to understand when to shoot. Like, so I'd say for the moment, example at the moment, I'm saying commit and hit. That's it. So, and all it's about doing, that's a, and there's a, the detail beneath that is around the player on the ball understanding to take touches on the ball, to be able to beat his man, to be able to commit a player, create that half yard and shoot, or commit and slide. So you, if I'm my wide players out wide and I'm on the ball and I drive at the opposition fullback, I'm committing him, and then I need to slide the winger, and then the winger needs to cross it. Like it's that intensity. So trying to get snappier terminology that triggers uh, what we want from them. So committing hit, committing slide, in possession at the moment. Uh, a, say, a phrase I use is position decision. So positioning of the team is important. So. If I'm a midfielder, I can't just run aimlessly all over the pitch. I need there's a certain position I want them to be in to affect the opposition. And if they do that, then it's their decision: do they move or do they stay? And that's that's all it is. Position. So I'm trying to go with like snappier uh, words, if you like, to to really simplify what we we want from them. So simple phrases instead of going in and saying like, right, when he gets the ball, you to move here. I want him to slide across you know and then if he doesn't the biggest thing through like coaching one there's those are big things but players if you coach players they they always see it as black or white he said this or do this and in this situation i need to do this so when you're pressing for example if you're the winger he'll say or oh when the fullback gets the ball he needs to press him so i need to press the opposition fullback what about when the centre-back gets it and you're close enough to press the centre-back? Can you close them down or do you just wait and run back and worry about the full-back? So it's important not to try, because football is areas of grey. It's not black, it's not white. There's so many variables and so many different situations. And that's why, like, for example, um, when the full-back left-back attacks, the right-back's got to come round. But then the opposition have no one on the halfway line. So why is the right back got to come round? I don't understand it. But some coach somewhere or, or has said that. And they've not meant it, literally. 
but the players take it literally. So yeah, come round. If they leave two up front, we need to have three back against their two, maybe. Yeah. But if they got one up front or no one up front, why are you staying back? Like, and that's so that's why it's important to try and not go is this way or that way. There's principles that apply, and then you need to apply that principle in the right situation at the right time. So if you're the winger and you're pressing at the right time, you need to press the centre back, the opposition centre back. And then everyone needs to slide across and deal with the, the fullback you've left. If you're pressing, um, but you're not close enough, then stay because you don't need to go. It's fine. But don't just go because we think we're a high pressing team. And every time the centre back, yeah, you need to close down, you need to run. No, you don't. You only do it at the right time. So that bit has been, yeah, like strategies for me, trying to simplify it. So terminology um, and those areas of gray like trying to go there's principles here and then don't the, and then using the analysis i guess video feedback is massive now in analysis huddle has been re, you know really good for us uh using it a really good tool with the players and and getting them to see things live for themselves and, and then go back over it using it on the ipad on the side of the pitch using it before and after games pre-match post-match that side of it's been been good. So I use that for sure. Um was a big part of it. But yeah, just that simplicate and not making it one or the other. You know, because players, so many players go, oh, I should do this. Well, only in that, only if it's the right thing to do at that time. That's massive. <laughs> I don't know. No, I think it raises a really interesting point because I think obviously a lot of teams at the moment want to press and press high up yeah. and all that type of stuff. Yeah. And um, you see it all over where the, the fullback gets the ball, the wide player goes to press them, but they're about 20 yards away. And you're like, you're not going to make it. Yeah. <laughs> the fullback's got a good time on the ball, you're not going to make it. And we're like, why are you going? And they're like, well, we press. I was like, okay, but if yeah. you can affect it, you press. Don't just run out there if he's got loads of time because he's going to play around you. And that's something that have been working on with groups in terms of going, if you can affect the forward pass, then go. Yeah. kind of wherever you are on the pitch if you can affect that pass going forward then you know you you might have a chance of being able to go and others can join in around you if you're right by yourself then you you might not go so there's different things there which i think is interesting i guess linking back to here and i've worked under your curriculum if you like in southampton obviously you and lee put a lot of work in along with everyone else there to get that curriculum up and going how would you go about creating a curriculum for a club now? Um, obviously, because you've gone back to sim simplicity. I know the one you created at Southampton is really, really in-depth with the moves that relate to areas of the pitch and stuff. Would you still go into that detail or would you work purely off of principles and go from there? Yeah, I, I look back at it now and I think at the time it was maybe the right thing to try and do. We were trying to get a, a, you know that focus of, of, of ball mastery, of 1v1, of the moves across. And then the different areas of the pitch and the different um, like areas of the pitch and then the different like actions in those areas of the pitch. So if it's in the defensive third, you know, and you have the balls playing out to that side of it. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd not make it as detailed I'd for sure if I was to do it now. The same principles would apply, I think, around the moves and around what I would try and do it in a, a different way. Again, there's detail underneath it, but it's what 
the end user needs to see. So what the coaches and what the staff would need to see would not be as detailed. Uh, so I would definitely go like, I've been trying and I'm trying to do it at the moment with the PDP, come up with like that simplicity. So at the moment, like, for example, if you were a high pressing team or your club, like just what's the key things you're looking for? So like five things might be high intensity running, uh, compete for everything, play forward, do your USP really well, so do, your, do what you're good at and do your job for the team. Now, underneath those five headings, there is more information, but that's like your, can you base a curriculum off that? Maybe, but there's loads of bits in there underneath. So like do your job for the team. What does that mean? Well, if I'm a centre-back, I need to defend, I need to head, I need to make sure uh, I squeeze and drop effectively. I need to make sure I market set pieces. I need to do my job for the team. What's my USP? If I'm a winger, I need to do that really well. I need to, if I'm a winger, I need to beat my man. If I'm a dribbler, I need to take people on. If I'm a passer, I got I got to be good at my passing. If I'm a finisher, I got to be good at a finisher. If I'm an aggressive defender, I got to be aggressive in my defender. You know, if I'm a box to box midfielder, I got to be box to box. So what's your USP? Do that. And then the other three things, like we said earlier, like play forward, compete for everything. Because if you dip out of a tackle, if you dip out of a header. People don't like, like especially, uh, yeah, it's, it's tough. So make sure you do those bits. And then high intensity running. Yeah, come on. We need to see you press. We need to see you run. But not only run forward, run back. So you go to press and you get it wrong. So what? Just run back. <laughs> don't worry about it. So there's like, so I'm thinking, right, there's five key things there. So how do we, now underneath that, there's loads of, again, loads of details. So playing forward, right? You, you have underneath that there's switching plays if I can't play forward there could I switch a play for him to play forward you know there's width and depth because I need my team to spread out so I can play a forward pass there's forward movement needed for me to play the forward pass so there's loads of like stuff then um and how you get that across in a curriculum I'm not sure yet I'm not I'm not sure of how we're going about the, all I know is it needs to be more simple simplicity of about but the reality is i don't know if we'll be able to do it because there's there is like we, we keep alluding to is there, there's detail within it so we can't get away from that there's all that detail underneath it so you can have some key headings and maybe that's just what the end user sees those key headings and then there's training then there's coaching then the detail comes out over the time you know of those key headings do you need to be explicit with what the detail is or is that down to the individual coach, the individual player? I, I, I'm not sure yet, but I look back and I'm, I put a piece of work together with Lee and Lee was really good and we, we worked really well, I felt, together. And then it was a good a, kind of achievement and I, I felt it was good at the time. But when I reflect on it now, like, what are we now? So five years down the line, probably, from that, nearly six years, I'd... Yeah, I'd, I'd do that different um, with the same focus and the same principles, but um, probably a bit different in terms of the detail, the documents and, and what went with it. I think what's interesting, having having used it and stuff uh, for me was you it kind of left it to the skill of the coach to use what was relevant for the, the players at the time. So I think as a coach, it was kind of challenging for you because you're like right, where are my players on their journey at the moment because I could run down all of these things 
um, or I could run down a few of them because that's where they are. So I think it it was good in terms of the context. There was so much information in it and it was, you know, thorough. It's one of the most thorough documents I've probably seen in terms of a curriculum of what in that context was outstanding. And it left it to the skill of the coach to identify the player's needs, which I think as a trait, as a like extra on top of that was really good because you're constantly evaluating your players to then look at a curriculum and then go back. Um, I think it's really interesting what you do to hear around the simplifying of terminology for players. Um, you know, the um, oh, sorry, the commit one. Yeah. Um, commit. Yeah. I think. I think for me that those little terminologies. It's like, can you get those players to get into play quickly? The common one is when you're in one v one defending. Can you make contact or can you take the last step or, you know, tempo, speed, all those little trigger words that everyone has. Um, and it's kind of where is your trade-off? Do you go down the really detailed route and allow coaches to kind of take on what they need? Do you go down the really simple route and make an assumption that the coaches know the detail behind it? So I think you'd be kind of between a rock and a hard place, but yeah. um, I think th th there's benefits to both. So I guess it, it depends on what your club philosophy is, really. I think that's important. I, I also think, like you say, is because uh, when... The positions I've been in as well, you've got that kind of coach development side to it as well, or putting in there needs to be that opportunity for the coaches. So, yes, there's a curriculum, but you're still free to coach what you want within that curriculum. Does that make sense? Like, so if it says that this week you're doing, and we, we tried to contrast it in one week or one session was planned out from the back, and then it's pressing. So, then subconsciously, though you're working on pressing, you're getting the plan out because you need the plan out to work against, which you worked on the following week. So, there's all that kind of stuff. Um, but was never too prescriptive to say like, and I think it's important, like you must do this session for playing out of the back, you, you do this, but playing out of the back looks, um, that you'll have an idea of what it looks like, but come on, you, you'll have a session to do that or whether it's pressing or whether it's playing through midfield or switching play or whatever it is, every coach, and that's the development of the coach. And I had that development, you know, never had that as much when I was doing the younger age groups, um, before I, you know, previously through my coaching career. Um, and I would always have to challenge myself with those sessions. And now I know sometimes clubs kind of take that away from the coach and go, you do this session for this topic. And you're a bit like, well, what am I doing? Like, there's no planning process for me then. I just need to turn up. Yeah, I delivered a session, but I didn't think about what it was and what to do. So there's that. And, and some coaches like that because there's less work. Some won't because they go, well, actually, I want to, for this session, I want to do this. So, yeah, getting that train off uh, right as well is important. So, listen, last question for me, and it's something I ask everyone, um, which is who's the best, it can be player and or coach, that you've worked with or against and why? So, um, best player played against I was playing probably when I was at City we, we played Arsenal and I remember Jermaine Pennant played for Arsenal and I played fullback and he played on the wing uh, and I remember he was very good that day I think we were about 16 17 um, he was very good when I was younger um, senior I was lucky enough to be part of the the Poulton Rovers team that played Norwich in the FA Cup and Wes Houlihan played that day and he was unbelievable like unplayable and he was top player um so yeah in a playing context though in a coaching context like 
I've got a number of coaches really that kind of influenced in and who I thought, yeah, in terms of like probably more coach educators, but I mentioned already like Steve Rutter, he was very on my A license and B license and A license, very, I thought, influential and helped me along that uh, journey. Uh, Pete Amos, uh, someone else as well, uh, was my youth team coach, but was also a, a coach educator. And then older coaches from a different generation, Ivor Powell at Team Bath, um, Frank Jacobs and Graham Mux really at Bristol City. These guys, like Ivor always used to say, and I, I use it now, determination, work rate, and consistency of performance. And I, at the time, you're like, yeah, Ivor, yeah, yeah. And now I'm like, you're spot on over. I do it. I speak to the players on that so much. And that was really good. And then um, they'd be like for the messages, like Frank was the same, Graham, around the messages of work hard, attitude. Um, and then in terms of coaching, probably Paul Tisdale, the way he got you to do stuff as a, as a player um, and the way he set the teams up and the success he had at Team Bath to get the, the age group, you know, the team through the, the leagues, if you like. Um, he was very good. Yeah, some real important people. Andy Tilson was just the top bloke, like really unbelievable as a person, how he influenced how the relationship and how it reinforced to me that you can have good people in football. Like sometimes you hear like stories of everyone stabbing each other in the back in football, you know, you've got a you can't be nice and it's not true. Like it's not true. You you can have there's top people in football. Uh, and you can be a good person and still be successful in football, for sure. So yeah, they'd be the, the ones that, that stand out for me, for sure. I'm hoping to get him on the podcast soon. I'm currently exchanging text messages with Tilly. Um, but no, I agree with you in terms of having good people in football. I think that he uh, is definitely one of the good guys. But listen, Bully, I really appreciate your time. I think everyone agrees on the valuable stuff there. And uh, obviously stay safe and keep keep doing what you're doing. And hopefully we can catch up with you again a bit further down the line. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me on, Mike. I really enjoyed it. Yes. Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.